This is recording number 10958 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, December 4, 2011. This is the second message in the series titled, The Signs of the Season. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Manger. talking about three uh, things that the Bible says were meant to be signs. See, a sign is something that gets your attention and then communicates information. And the Bible is full of signs that God has given us to get our attention, point that attention towards him and then communicate something to us about him and who he is, what his plans are. There's a whole swarm of them around the birth of Jesus. We're looking at only three. But that's what we mean by the signs of the season. We're looking, we, last week we talked about the virgin birth as one of the signs of the season. Today we're going to talk about the manger and uh, then next week we'll talk about the star. These three signs... That God meant to get our attention and then to use them to point us towards him and towards fresh understanding about who he is and what he's like, what his plans are and his purposes for us. So that's why I've asked you to turn to Luke chapter 2 because we're going to be introduced to the manger here. But before we do that, I I need to ask you to do something that will be very difficult. Very difficult. But I really want you to make an effort at it. And that is to try to remove from your mind all the things you already know about the Christmas story. All the things that you have come, you know, over so many years have been exposed to. If you could do me a favor and just put those things aside. I want you to be in the shoes of a shepherd today. Now the shepherds that we're going to meet in this passage... All they know is that for their whole lives, they have been taught to anticipate the coming of the Messiah. Every Jewish boy and girl, their, their life was drenched in this anticipation that the one who would make everything right, the one who would fulfill all their hopes and dreams. The one who would bring the kingdom of God to bear on this planet, in this, in this life. That he was coming. That's all they knew. But it's been several thousand years since that promise was made. And so even though that is in their hearts, you know, that... We, we look forward to the coming of this one Messiah. It, it was also true that they more than likely uh, had some little bit of, you know, hesitation to really extend themselves in expectation because, well, you know, it's been a long time and he hasn't shown up yet, right? So that's all that they know. That's the context of their understanding as it, as it has to do with the things that we're going to see and read about here in this passage beginning at verse 8. 
do me a favor and put aside all the Christmas card imagery, all the pageants that you've seen, all the sermons you've heard preached, and just try to put yourselves in the shoes of the shepherds. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory, that word is the divine word for beauty, the beauty, the glory, the magnificence of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Now, if you didn't already know that this was supposed to happen, if you hadn't seen a Christmas card with the angelic hosts depicted there and the light shining down on the shepherds, and this happens to you, you might be a little afraid yourself. This is completely (laughs) out of the ordinary, something you would never expect, never imagine. And I... I can only suspect that these shepherds are looking at each other and wondering if if each other sees the same thing, comparing notes, and yet caught up in something so incredible that they're likely stunned and speechless. Then the angel said to them, so not not only are they in the presence of, and how many have had experience with an angel before? Any of you ever seen one face to face? Likely they hadn't either. They probably don't know what to call this. What to say about this. So not only have these beings that radiate with the glory of God suddenly appeared to them on a dark night as they're out there keeping the night shift watching their sheep. But then these heavenly creatures, these whatever they are, start to talk. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. And I can, can you imagine what the voice of an angel must be like? Do not be afraid. It's a good thing they said that. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of of David. Now we read those words and we know what I mean we know the story but they didn't. Now the city of David what that means is Bethlehem which was a little tiny podunk town that nobody would have even thought twice about. It happened to be where they were. But it wasn't any large metropolis by any means. Be like somebody saying today in the city of Sassoon. You know? Not, the, not San Francisco, not L.A. In the city of David. Bethlehem. House of bread is what that means. Why? Because there was a lot of bakers there, I guess. I don't know. But it certainly wasn't anything that would have been expected unless you were a student of the Old Testament scriptures. Then you'd know. This is what was prophesied. But likely these these shepherds were not aware of that. It says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David in Bethlehem a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior, I already told you earlier this morning, means 
the one who rescues. Christ is, it means Messiah. The Lord means the, the, the ultimate master, the sovereign God. It, it's likely starting to dawn on them. Whatever these creatures are, they're insinuating that all of our hopes and dreams, all of these kind of uh, these aspirations and expectations that have been drilled into us over our lifetimes, they're, they're saying this is being fulfilled here in Bethlehem tonight. And it's just got to be shaking them to their, to their core. They've got to be just perplexed and astounded beyond measure. And then they say, the, the, the angel says, and this will be the sign to you. Remember, a sign gets your attention and communicates something. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe Wrapped in swaddling claws. That means just rags, really. Wrapped up tight like they, like there's a couple of them around here this morning. Little babes wrapped, swaddled, wrapped up tight. I heard one of them just a minute ago from the mother's room. So, But just rags, really, just, you know, wrapped up. You're going to find a babe wrapped in swaddling claws, lying in a manger. Now, again, this is so hard for us because we've seen so many pictures of this wooden box with a little hay coming over the edges and a baby in there, right? And to us, especially since most of us have never grown up on a farm, we imagine that that was something that would have been expected. At least it, it would be for us. But to these guys, to think a baby would be found in a feeding trough and that this baby found in a feeding trough was the son of God, the Messiah, the fulfiller of our hopes and dreams. Think of how that would get your attention. That's what it was meant to do. But not only that, it was meant to instruct. To communicate something about the one who's come and the one who sent him. So we want to focus today on the sign of the manger. And what God was communicating to us through, us, through it. Before I do that, I've got to do a little show and tell here. So I've already asked you to turn to Luke chapter 2. And we've already read that. So I'm going to show you now a picture of the grotto or the cave of the, of the nativity. I had the privilege of actually being there. Somebody, I mean, some of the rest of you may have as well. It's in the, is, as you might expect, in the city of Bethlehem. And it's, it's below uh, the surface of the ground because so many uh, years have passed in civilizations. And, and so you go into the church of the nativity and then you go down to the grotto or the cave of the nativity because, you see, the, the stable where Jesus was born was not, a, um, not a, a, a structure that was built by human hands. It was a cave. And surrounding Bethlehem are all of these 
um, natural caves where shepherds would keep their sheep and other animals were housed and so forth. And so it was an actual cave. Now this does not look anything like a cave, however, does it? It's been polished up and marble laid and gold and fine fabrics. and, and, And I think most of us, whether we articulate it this way or not, most of us imagine... And I'm sure the shepherds imagined that this would be the kind of place where the king of kings would be born. It would look regal. It would look like, well, this is something, right? And, and when I was there, I was thinking, well, there's just something wrong with this picture. And I... You know, I appreciate the, 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 the veneration that has been... Uh, assigned to this place and, and all, but boy, it just doesn't seem right. And it really troubled me. I mean, I knew going, going to Israel that I was going to be confronted with these sort of holy religious sites and the heavy blanket of religiosity that's over, uh, you know, that area. I knew I was going to be dealing with some of that. But this one really troubled me and I and I couldn't completely articulate it. I, I was just troubled. So we left there. We drove out of the city a little ways. And um, we, we stopped at a cave. It looked, I don't think it's this one, but one just like this. I mean, it's just a cave. Just a hole in the side of the mountain. And we went in there. And our guide said, you know, this is what that grotto of the, of the nativity looked like. On the night of our Savior's birth. Nothing to be, nothing to write home about. (laughs) And as we were, you know, and then when I was inside of this cave and rethinking this passage and all the things that I've learned and known over the years as I've walked with the Lord, it just made so much sense. It felt like a breath of fresh air and the cloud of religion just kind of blew away. Religion is human attempts to reach God. And they always end up falling short because none of us can, can reach God on our own. And so as that heavy cloud of religiosity started to blow away, the f- fresh breeze of a sense of the truth of what happened that night settled in on me and I was rejoicing in the Lord. And then I, I walked out of there and right n- nearby there was a, something that looked just like this, a stone kind of bowl, uh, rock that had some, a, uh, an area carved out of it like that. And I asked the guide, I said, what's that thing? Because all I honestly, I all had ever had in my mind's eye when I, when I thought about a manger was this kind of wooden box with the hay thing. And so I asked the guy, I said, so what's this? And he said, well, that is a manger. And somehow that cold rough-hewn rock uh, spoke to me. And I know that that's what the angels on that night when they announced to the shepherds, that's what they meant this sign to do, to speak to them about the Savior, why he'd come and what he was like. And there's at least three things that I think the manger speaks to us about, communicates to us about. 
First, the manger is a divine signpost pointing us to the one who is not surprised, embarrassed, repulsed, or frustrated by our imperfections. You know, I, I'm, I think, pretty typical in this. I, want, I always want to get my life cleaned up for God. You know, I, I, want to, I want to present him something that's presentable. But maybe you've come to realize what I have, that no matter how hard I try, I can never reach that state of perfection. I can never get it all together. I can never get rid of all my stuff. And you know what? When Jesus came, he said loud and clear, by allowing himself to be placed in a, in a stone manger, in a cave with animals. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you haven't done. I've come to rescue you. That's the heart of God. And that's what was being pointed to with the sign of the manger. You know that John chapter 3, 16, we see that and hear that a lot. Most of us could, could recite that verse. Don't, don't feel bad if you can't, but a lot of us know that verse. But John three seventeen, the verse right after that one says that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn. He did not come to the world to condemn. But that the world through him might be saved. When Jesus was confronted with the adulterous woman and, and the scribes and Pharisees wanted to stone her to death. And Jesus intervened. He said to her after they'd all left, he said, so who's, who, where's your condemners? And she says, well, they're gone. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. But his next words were, go and sin no more. Now, I don't know. I, I suppose you could think of that as some sort of, um, you know, weight or burden that he was placing on her. You better not screw up again. But that's not it at all. What he was saying was, I've come not to condemn, but to make it possible that the things that have scarred your life in the past, your faults and failings, your sin, doesn't have to be what your life is about from here on. Go and sin no more. That's part of what the manger was communicating to us. Then, that this one who came is ready to fill what Ever we offer him. Do you have a marriage that's a little rough hewn today? Is there something going on at work that's a little bit scratchy? A little bit rough? Offer it to him. Offer it to him. Welcome him there. He'll come. 
He said so when he, when he allowed himself to be placed in that manger. I'll come. Whatever you offer, I'll come. And I'll fill it. Last. This one who came. Will not change the basic design. But will reveal the hidden potential of our lives. You know when they placed Jesus into that, that feeding bowl. That feeding trough. It didn't suddenly become this, this regal bed. His, his uh, swaddling cloths were not transformed into um, fine linen and, and uh, royal fabrics. It remained a feeding trough. And yet forever since then, and forever throughout eternity, it will be something different. Sometimes people are afraid uh, to really surrender their whole life to Jesus, to really let him inhabit them, to just live uh, in them. And, and sometimes people are afraid to just abandon themselves to the Savior. And I get that. I understand. The reason is that we're afraid of what might happen. I, I've told you this story before, but when I asked my my future father-in-law, if I could marry his daughter, he told me no. And he said, here's why. You want to be a preacher person, and I can only imagine that that means my daughter's going to be living in a grass hut someplace, or, you know, uh, with no shoes. <laughs> and we, we, we wonder sometimes, if I really gave my whole life to... If I really took this seriously... And I really gave my whole life to Jesus? What would I become? Am I going to be that guy that stands on the street corner with a bullhorn saying, turn or burn? Am I going to be that guy? What is it going to mean? We want to kind of keep just a little distance, don't we? I mean, hmm, okay, I, I believe, but hmm, I don't, you know, I don't want to be that guy. He, look. God made you. He wired you. He put you together exactly the way he intended. The Bible says he was overseeing the, your assembly. <laughs> when you were in your mother's womb, he was orchestrating every detail. Now our sin, the brokenness of this world... The influences that are on us have misshapen and marred what he intended. But when we surrender our lives to him, the basic design is not changed. In fact, it is revealed. His designs and purposes, his destiny for your life, that's the only way that it can be revealed is when we surrender to the one who still has the blueprints. When we have lost the map and we're off course and don't know how to get back on it. He knows. I don't know anybody who doesn't want to, to live out their destiny. That's what we hunger for. That's what we long for. It's insufficient to most of us to just get up every morning, go to work, pay some bills, hopefully. 
God's intentions for us is so much more than that. And the manger tells us that he meant to reveal the hidden potential of our lives. I'm going to wrap this up, but I'm just going to give you one more illustration as I do. You could set your things aside and close your uh, Bibles. So I have this desk at home. Some of you have been to our house and you may have seen it in my, our little home office there. I have this desk. To me, it's beautiful. It's, uh, but it wasn't always so. When I first became a pastor and I was uh, uh, planting my first church, I needed a desk because I didn't have one. And so my father-in-law... He since kind of got used to the fact that I married his daughter. So we're on speaking terms now. <laughs> but uh, he, he uh, bought this, this uh, desk at a, like a, uh, an industrial garage sale. That's the only way I know how to describe it. You know, some business was selling off old uh, office furniture and stuff. So he bought this desk. And usually my, <laughs> my father-in-law gives me something... <laughs> Uh, it's not usually something I'm overjoyed about. Like the time they gave me a polyester leisure suit. You know, it wasn't, wasn't, you know, something I was really excited about. Usually if he's giving me a gift, it's because he bought it two for one. So he's got one and he gives me the other one. Right. So I saw this thing and I, and I go, it was one of those things. Where, oh, gee, thanks, dad. You know, because it was a mess. The drawers didn't work. The, it was, I mean, it had this ugly, uh, I think it was like a, like a blue, a gray-blue kind of paint that was, uh, I mean, it was just, you know, not real exciting. So I, I, I kept it, and I, because I didn't have any other alternatives, and I, I asked a friend of mine who was a painter, I said, is there anything you can do with this? Can you kind of paint it over it or something? He says, okay. What I really didn't realize at that time was that this guy, he made his living um, uh, take, painting, that's the wrong word to use, but I don't know, I'm, I don't know what else, uh, what other, how else to say it, but painting, taking care of yachts. So he's very used to, you know, making things, uh, revealing the, the hidden beauty of things. So he took this old clunker of a desk, and I don't even know what he did. But when he gave it back to me, I was like speechless. My, my, my jaw was on the floor. Everything worked, and the, the, he had stripped it down to this beautiful wood and had finished it in such a way that I just thought, this can't possibly be the same thing. And yet it was. And when Jesus came and inhabited that stone manger that was just rough-hewn in every way and then so filled it with, this, with his presence, used it to communicate such deep truth to us and such love to us that now when we think of it, now when we look back, don't we see it differently? Dear one, whatever the condition of your life, 
Have you let him inhabit there? If you open to the king of kings, he will transform you. He will. And not into something you weren't meant to be, but into that which he designed you for. 